0: Nancy Drew requires little in the way of introduction, and not just because we have discussed a few books from the Iconic series on previous episodes of the podcast. As a trailblazer for girls in mysteries and literature in general, she's a pretty big deal. She's also not without her flaws, but you probably already knew that. On today's episode, we are once again immersing ourselves in the worlds of Nancy Drew, this time for a discussion about the second book in the series, which is called The Hidden Staircase. We do a pretty thorough plot summary in this conversation so I'll go ahead and skip my usual rundown of all of the story specifics now to avoid being redundant. Instead, I'll share a preview of some of the other topics we touch on in the discussion you're about to hear. We chat about our early memories of Nancy Drew, the incredible amount of plot the author is able to cram into the hidden staircase, the mystery's sense of girl power, Nancy Drew's many talents and the series Grounding in the Depression Era. We also wrestle a bit with this particular mystery's focus on real estate drama and notary publics, as well as the character's habit of frequently stopping right in the middle of the action to grab a snack and do the dishes. I mean, I get it, but it's still pretty hilarious. Today's guest is one of the biggest names I've ever been lucky enough to have on the pod, and I am so thrilled to welcome her. Maureen Johnson is the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of more than a dozen young adult novels, including the Truly Devious series, The Shades of London series, Sweet Scarlet, and 13 Little Blue Envelopes. Her collaborative books include Ghosts of the Shadow Market with Cassandra Clare, as well as Let It Snow with John Green and Lauren Miracle, which was also a recent hit feature film on Netflix. In addition to being a YA rock star, Maureen is active in social justice issues and politics, both online and in real life. Recently, she initiated an open letter in support of trans and non-binary communities that was signed by more than 2,000 publishers and other members of the literary world. She co-hosts the podcast Says Who with Punk Planet creator Dan Sinker and edited the collection How I Resist, the entire advance of which was donated to the ACLU. Maureen's latest truly devious mystery, The Box in the Woods, is now available. Learn more about her work at maureenjohnsonbooks.com. Follow Maureen on Twitter at MaureenJohnson and on Instagram at maureenjohnsonbooks. As always, I'd love to remind you to follow SSR on social media too. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter and by searching for the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community on Facebook. If you're digging the SSR community and want to get even more involved, you can join the SSRBC, that's the SSR Book Club, of course, for free. Every month, volunteer leaders take members through ongoing conversations about two throwback middle grade or YA titles from previous episodes of the show. In June, the books in the spotlight are Ballet Shoes and Christie's Great Idea, which is the first title in the Babysitter's Club series. A lot of the SSRBC discussion is happening on Facebook right now, but next month we will be expanding to Slack as well. Learn more and sign up at www.ssrpodcast.com ssrbookclub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. And there's even more SSR community waiting for you on Patreon. As an SSR patron, you'll get newsletters, Patreon parties, bonus episodes, weekly voice notes, SSR merch, and access to SWR, aka Shit We Read, a quarterly exclusive book club led by me in which we discuss a new book that's actually meant for grown-ups. In July, we are reading The Other Black Girl by Zakia Dalila Harris, and I cannot wait. Plus, when you join Patreon, you have the satisfaction of knowing that for just a few dollars every month, you're supporting this independent podcast. Get all the Patreon details and become a patron at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast and clicking support at the top of the page. If you are already a patron and listening to this episode, I hope you know how much I appreciate you. You can also support SSR by leaving a five-star rating or review of the show on Apple Podcasts, or by sharing a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story. Don't forget to tag SSRPod so I can see. If there are road trips and other travel in your summer plan, and you want to stock up on audiobooks, don't forget to check out Libro.fm. Libro.fm lets you support independent bookstores with the purchase of every audiobook, even if you don't have a brick-and-mortar independent bookstore where you live. With Libro.fm, you can support independent booksellers instead of giant corporations when you shop for audiobooks. The audiobooks are exactly the same as the ones you buy from the big guys, and they come at no extra cost. If you're a Libro.fm newbie, you can get a discount on your first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted. You'll get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show. freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Maureen. Welcome to SSR. Hello. How are you? I am great. I'm so happy to have you. We are recording on a Friday afternoon. It's sunny. We're going to talk Nancy Drew. I'm feeling great. How about you? I mean, I'm ready to talk some Nancy
1: because it is not what I remember, Or it's exactly what I remember, and I I can't tell which.
0: I know. It's really hard. Nancy Drew has been um, a rude awakening for me and for the other guests that I've talked about Nancy with. This is the third Nancy Drew that we've talked about on the show. We did The Secret of the Old Clock, which is the first book. And then we did The Secret or The Mystery at Lilac Inn, which is the fourth book in the series last summer. And listeners, I'll link to both of those in the show notes if you want to catch up. But- On both of those occasions, it was a similar reaction where my guests were like, "Ooh, I'm not, I'm not sure that this is what I thought it was." And it's also really exciting to talk about because it's like, I don't know, it just it blew my mind the first time I reread one of these.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's something. It's something.
0: Yeah, so let's start by talking a little bit about your personal experience with Nancy Drew. What memories do you have of this series as a kid? How do you think that maybe reading these this series informed your writing or your passion for mystery? Like, I kind of want to hear all about that and maybe why you chose to go the Nancy Drew route for this episode.
1: Well, I definitely remember reading one of them. And I read more than one, but I have a very specific memory of sitting on my grandmom's sofa and I had the book in my hand, and I, I did this thing where I associate two memories with it—very hard, like very firm memories. One was that I looked at the end because I couldn't stand not knowing who did it, so I flipped to the end. Mm-hmm. And the other was that I decided then I had this rule when I was a kid that I was such a mystery addict, but that I was also terrified by everything, so. I couldn't read any mysteries after six o'clock because even like Nancy Drew's because it was just too scary. But I was also obsessed with them. So it was really tough. It was tough.
0: That's a tough spot to be in. I get it. I mean, I scary. it's scary. I read a lot of the, um. there's something like line extensions for Nancy Drew. They had all these like, sort of sub series that came out later on. And I've shared this story on the podcast before. But I mean, I read these classic ones, but I also have a very clear memory of reading this newer version of Nancy Drew, this newer iteration of her, and and she was at a Renaissance fair.
1: Ooh, that is new.
0: And that's the one that I remember reading. And I remember reading it late at night and being kind of spooked about what was gonna happen. So I get it, like you wanna find out what's gonna happen, but you also wanna sleep and not have a nightmare.
1: All mysteries were scary. Even the ones that were not scary.
0: Yeah. The unknown is scary. Yeah.
1: But I definitely remember having the books because as soon as I kind of go through the covers and the titles, I say, oh, I read that one. I think I saw that one. I didn't own that one. I think I owned that one. They're all super familiar to me. And I know I owned a bunch of them. When I say a bunch, I mean, three or four or five, but I got the others probably from the library.
0: Yeah. Do you remember anything about sort of your relationship with Nancy as a character? It sounds like you read other mysteries.
1: I read a lot of other mysteries. You
0: read a lot of other mysteries. Do you remember? And if you don't, I totally get it. Because as a reader, you, of course, have read so many things. It's hard to keep track. Do you remember at all, like, maybe what separated Nancy as a character or Nancy Drew as a series from the other characters and books you were reading in this genre as a kid?
1: What separates her is that I have zero memory of her. She seems like she seems remarkably unmemorable. Yeah. I have very vivid memories of other characters, but I can't tell you anything about that true. Except that the books existed and what the spines looked like, and that I read them and they had really good titles and they sounded really spooky. But aside from that, I was like, I don't really know. And when I read this, I kinda of, I got it. I was like, oh, I see. She's hard to I don't know. I don't want to, I guess we just need to discuss some Nancy here because it's tough.
0: Yeah, we just got to get into it. So for context listeners, this is the second book in the series. It's called The Hidden Staircase. It was originally published in 1930 and then it was rewritten in 1959. I've spoken about this on some of the other Nancy Drew episodes, but the first batch of Nancy Drew books started publishing in 1930 and then Nearly 30 years later, they rewrote all of the ones that had already been published. In that process, they made Nancy older and they also dialed back the racism and the violence in the original books. So I don't remember exactly how many were rewritten, but in the process of like continuing to also write new titles, they also re edited all of these old ones. And that effort was led by Edward Stratemeyer's daughter. And Edward Stratemeyer, of course, was the sort of the, uh, Oh, he started the Stratemeyer Syndicate. He kind of invented the idea of book packaging. He came up with Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, and he's sort of like where all of this started. Carolyn Keene, for those who don't know, was not a real person. These books were ghostwritten by several women, starting with a woman named Mildred Wirt Benson, who did write The Hidden Staircase, who is apparently on record as saying that this was her favorite of the Nancy Drew books that she ever wrote. So that's kind of interesting. And I also found somewhere, and I don't have any stats on this, but I saw online somewhere that like this is the fan favorite, uh, which I thought was interesting because I don't remember reading this one. And I did read a lot of the Nancy Drew books. So I would have thought maybe the first book in the series would be the fan favorite, what were your expectations like going into this read? Did you have any or were you kind of just like ready to see what all of the fuss was about Nancy since you didn't remember her?
1: I just wanted to, I, I really didn't have any. I just, I genuinely could not remember anything mm-hmm. except those kind of external memories, I, but I had zero memories about the stories themselves except a kind of vague, and I think all of my memories are actually just the covers somehow entwined in my imagination as being the story, like her sitting there with a clock a field. She's in a field with a clock. and I don't know why, but that's a thing. and she's in the dark. And she's in like the basement or something. It, it just something something very vague,
0: yeah. well, I do feel like inevitably these conversations about the Nancy Drew books tend to just turn into conversations about like Nancy and what she represents. And I found some really interesting articles about that. So I think we'll probably end up going down that road. And I'd love to start with your first impressions of Nancy, meeting her again as an adult. We meet her. She finds out that her father might be in grave danger from this man named Nathan Gomber. Weirdly, I discovered that in the 1930 edition, Nathan Gomber was named Nathan his last name was one letter different. Um, his last name was Nathan Gombett with a T. And then, then when they rewrote it in 1959, they changed the T to an R, which seems like a really random, like bizarre choice to make. But there's your fun fact. Um, you know, she's driving around in her car. She's talking to her friend, Helen. What were your first impressions getting reacquainted with her?
1: Well, first of all, how old was she in the 30s? Was she about, was she about 16 or so.
0: She was too young to drive. I remember that, I can't remember exactly how old she was, but in these, in this new version, she's 18. And I remember, I've read a bunch of articles about like the decision to age her up. They wanted her to have more agency. And the big thing was like the symbolism of the car and her being able to have independence and also like the ability to not have to go to school. Like that was a big part of it. So she was in school and not old enough to drive originally.
1: I get those troubles. I mean, I've run into them myself. So, I mean, what it, what I will say is that this book does not mess around in terms of getting you into it. Mm-hmm. She's sitting there. The phone rings. She runs up. She answers the phone. And this is... I just want to read the first line. The first two lines. Is that okay? Please. Nancy Drew began peeling off her garden gloves as she ran up the porch steps into <laughs> the hall to ran, answer the ringing telephone. She picked it up and said, hello. I mean... I mean, that's a good opener, Nancy.
0: I mean, were you wearing garden gloves right before we started recording? I just, did you have to take them off or I just wanted to find out?
1: Uh, It's just, I think that that you have to have a separate, like a line that's like, she picked it up and she said, hello, as opposed to like, she picked you up and said, "Ah, I'm a collection of lamps or like something crazy. It's just very, she picked it up and said, hello. And then, hi, Nancy, this is Helen. Although Helen Corning was nearly three years older than Nancy, the two girls were close friends. Are you tied up on a case? Ellen asked. No. What's up? A mystery? Yes, a haunted house. Boom, we're there. It. We're just there. Yeah. Also, Helen, for uh, amazingly, you could be eighteen and twenty-one and be friends.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of life lived between eighteen and twenty-one. That's a good point. I mean, clearly, because we're about to to meet the um, some gentleman callers very soon. Mm-hmm.
1: So within two, within a page, Nancy's on the case of this. Haunted Mansion and then literally, okay, I'm looking at an electronic page. By the end of the page in the electronic version of the book, a bad guy appears. It is astonishingly quick.
0: Yeah, she gets you right in there, which I do like. I also wanted to point out because I also like that conversation where Helen was like, are you on a case? And as a reminder, listeners, this is not book eighteen in the series. She has she has completed successfully one mystery, which yeah. is which is. Look, I'm really happy for her. She's a great yeah. detective in that single mystery. But I do love the fact that all it took was the secret of the old clock, and her friends just assume that she's always going to be on a mystery. Like it happens that quick.
1: Yeah, and she you just call her. But what is amazing is that within this time of this basically 10, five to 10 minute period, she goes from having one case ever to two cases. She has two problems in this book. One as a, a strange dude shows up at her door. and It's like, your dad's in danger. you got to go with him everywhere and act as his bodyguard, which is weird. Yes. And then her friend's like, and i got this haunted house like they're just two very strange problems that have presented themselves to nancy who takes it all in, like admirably on her stride but she's also she's also got this date tonight she's got a date with this guy that i can't even remember his name he's just like a guy his whole sort of character is that he's got red hair here oh here he is dirk jackson dirk this is all we'll ever learn about dirk in this book half hour later dirk jackson arrived Nancy and the red-haired former high school tennis champion drove to pick up another couple and attend an amateur play, and dance given by the local theater group. Nancy thoroughly enjoyed herself and was sorry when the affair ended. Then she goes home.
0: That's it. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like there's much there between Nancy and Dirk. I think she's like not that into it.
1: No, but we do learn that also Helen, she is uh, going to get married. I think she's engaged now.
0: Yeah. She's engaged to Jim. And I feel like there's a lot of talk about Nancy's best friend, Bess, but Helen shows up a couple of times as well Helen shows up in the Mystery at Lilac Inn and we also get to meet her fiance Jim in the Mystery at Lilac Inn so Jim like they, they stay together they're planning a wedding I think they're going to be very happy together but yeah it's your your point about Helen being 21 and feeling sort of strange that they would be friends like not only is she older but she's also engaged and she's planning a wedding and, and Nancy in some ways is still like very much a child she's living at home which I think is it points to just the time like that's what you did when you were an 18 year old young woman in this time period when the books were written was you kind of just waited at home until the next chapter of your life started but helen is older and kind of like moving into this next phase and they bond over solving mysteries we don't really know how they met i'm curious about that just because i'm nosy and i like love good character development and that's not what this series is about this series oh, no. is not for the, the series is not for me it's not for a girl who wants to know like how you met what your father and mother like to eat for dinner, how they met, you know, how you came to be who you are. It's about being smack right in the middle of the action on page two, as you said, and just kind of like not caring that much about all of these other details about the characters. I think it's very much like a training ground for kids who are gonna grow up to be very like plot-driven, plot-loving readers.
1: Yeah, because all we really do find out about Jim is that he's wonderful. He works for an oil company. Like that's his whole, that's Jim.
0: That's his personality.
1: That's his thing. Like his, Dirk is a redheaded former tennis champion and Jim works for an oil company. And they're, I guess the word is swell. That would divide, but we never really, they don't matter, which I kind of like that they don't matter. That I do enjoy. I'm like, I don't care about these guys. So I don't want to see them again. And I don't, which is, I'm okay with, I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, this book is interesting that I do feel like there's this sense of it being a very like female driven plot. Like we have Helen, we have Nancy, of course, and then we have Helen's two relatives who live in the mansion where they're going to find this the hidden staircase, Flora and Rosemary. They're Helen's um, like older relatives and they call Nancy in to help. And I kind of love that like she was their first idea like they didn't immediately go and find men to help them they were like oh we need to get nancy drew on the case So i thought that was kind of cool it's neat that they're kind of trying to protect each other Of course, in the end, Nancy goes to the police, which she does quite a lot in this series. And that's something that I find really interesting in 2021, just how comfortable she is, how quick she is to assume that they're going to be on her side and how quick they are to always be on her side. Yeah, they're fine with it. Yeah, they're like, oh, hey, what's up? They're immediately like on a first name basis. They patch her through to the captain, like on her second call there, which I think is just really interesting. But yeah, I do think that the, in my opinion, relative to the other Nancy Drew books that I've reread for the podcast, I felt like there was a little bit more of like a strong female presence in the other books that felt like she was leaning on her dad more. I mean, her dad isn't even in this book because he disappears. So we don't have this whole like, I need to go talk to Mr. Drew about this. Like she's really handling things without him. She's trying to save him, which is. Yeah. Unique. I mean,
1: it, it's it's a really weird thing when this random man comes to the door and says, your father is in danger because these weird things that. It's because of some legal stuff and you've got to go with them everywhere to protect him. And it's it it's it's genuinely odd because the crime, the problem is a very specific thing that involves a lot of stuff about a notary public. And there's like a mysterious notary public. And you're never gonna see so much hot notary public action in any mystery as you will in this one because At one point, the notary public is just wandering various lawns. (laughs) Like he's just kind of wandering through the book. He's just there. He wanders from house to house. But uh, Nathan Gomber wants to enlist Nancy as the bodyguard of her own father, which she does pretty well when she knocks him out of the way of a truck pretty early on.
0: Yeah, I will say that all of this sort of like real estate business drama was really confusing to me, even as an adult. Couldn't make Hydra hair of it. I had no idea what was going on for a lot of this book because there, were it just felt like the, there was this series of like middle-aged white men who seemed to play various roles in like a local real estate company. They were cheating each other in some ways. Like I didn't really know what actually had gone on. And maybe it's because I'm a renter. I don't know. Like right. I've never bought a house, but even after like reviewing my notes going back through the book and like trying to make sense of it it really didn't make sense to me it almost felt as though the person writing it and this is of course like no shade to mildred Wirt benson who is an incredible like literary figure and who only made 125 dollars for each of these books and no royalties by the way Mm. i don't want to insult her but it did sort of feel like maybe she wasn't quite sure what was going on
1: there was no internet like it's it's pretty good i mean i think there's a reason that there's no notary public subplot in the movie Chinatown, for instance. Like this is a this is is a property crime. Yeah. The basis of this is a. I mean, here I think here it is. So. The, it has something to do with there's the railroad is trying to buy some property and they, Mr. Drew has represented I believe the railroad yes to buy the property and okay here here he says it I will admit there is a bit of a muddle about the railroad bridge Mr. Drew began what happened was that the lawyer who went to get Wooley Warton's signature was very ill at the time. Unfortunately, he failed to have the signature witnessed or have the attached certificate of acknowledgement executed. The poor man passed away a few hours later. And the other railroad lawyers failed to notice that the signature hadn't been witnessed by or the certificate notarized, Nancy asked. Not right away. The matter did come to light until the man's widow turned her briefcase over to the railroad. The old, t- like, it goes on and right. on. Like, Nancy is immediately, like, on the notary thing. She's like, are you telling me? that no one noticed that there was no notary (laughs) she has a like there are a couple things that they love in this book they love a canned good they love a notary and the canned good thing i I feel like i have to get into at some point later on because they there's a lot of canned goods a lot of very detailed discussions of what everybody's eating yes A lot of things that are punctuated by, like really critical scenes are punctuated by things like testing the potatoes to see if they're done yet, or Mm -hmm. a
0: lot of it happens a lot. Okay, so as far as the real estate thing goes, I have a few thoughts. So the first is that it shocks me that the expectation is that like young people would understand Mm -hmm. some of this and kids love notary publics. Yeah. I guess I was like, I didn't, I was just not cool because I didn't think about notary publics very much. And that was clearly like my loss as a child Right, and I regret it now. So I I do think it's interesting to think about the fact that like I, as a child read this and, and probably I didn't think it was important. So I just kept reading and it was one of those things where I was like, I don't really, care. I just want to find the ghost who cares about this real estate stuff. But to your point about just this idea that like Nancy immediately understands what's wrong in this situation and she's like concerned about the lack of a notary, I found this really interesting essay on crime reads called A Cultural History of Nancy Drew. And I'll I'll include the link in the show notes for the episode for those who want to check it out. But this is maybe my new favorite article that I found about Nancy Drew. And I just wanted to share one line from it that kind of speaks to this idea that Nancy like somehow manages to be everything like she is so multi-talented and she can figure out how to do so many different things the article says the original novels offered to their readers a woman whose skills multiplied in each installment to the point where she became a young woman truly capable of anything in this way it becomes hard to see Nancy as a single woman so much as an embodiment of many different women rather like Barbie who is simultaneously a fashion model a veterinarian a paleontologist, a horseback rider, a babysitter, an actress, a flight attendant, a gymnast, a photojournalist, Katniss Everdeen, and a mermaid, depending on which packaging she lives in. So similarly, astoundingly, a polymath is Nancy Drew, with the newer additions in the Grosset and Dunlap roster adding to her repertoire of abilities and training whatever skill would be advantageous for the case at hand.
1: Yeah, she reminds me, there was an English procedural that had a team of people on it that they all had like, one was the police detective, one was the psychologist. But really there was one character I used to call woman who does everything. And she was the only one with any kind of practical skills. And she almost literally did everything and seemed to be able to do, like she would be doing an autopsy, then she'd have like a flamethrower. And then she like, it just, it was she just did it. So woman who does everything is very much, um, seems to be, Nan- yeah, Nancy clearly has some familiarity with legal issues, property development, just yes. Basic, basic real estate law, but also she will help you with your ghosts, and she's flexible like that. And she will do them both at the same time,
0: and look good doing it. Obviously, yeah. She
1: I, honestly, she is no like they're like we got ghosts in our house; it's a real problem. She's like I'm on it. Also, I gotta help my dad because nobody notarized this thing. But obviously, we're going to have to have a lot of canned goods first. I really am obsessed with how many times they stop and eat lunch, or do the dishes. Like there's a lot of breaking the action to do the
0: dishes. Yeah. That kind of speaks to this other line of thinking that I was reading about, which is the fact that this series has its roots in the thirties and this idea that like so much of the world That Nancy lives in, except for like Nancy herself, is very much like steeped in the depression and like the scarcity mindset and this idea of like bootstrapping and like how everybody has a role to play and like anybody who's able bodied should be contributing. Even if you're 18 and have no like training, you can be a detective and you can save the world. And so I wonder now that you're mentioning this thing about like canned goods and like testing the potatoes and just being like very deliberate about those kinds of things. I wonder if that's related to those kinds of mindsets at all.
1: If this version is rewritten in the 50s, it really struck me more. The canned goods were very fashionable, actually.
0: In the 50s.
1: Yeah, it was like things that were kind of new, like consumer goods, like these awesome peas and just what you kind of imagine of a 50s commercial. I think what's weirder about it is how often. The writer breaks the action. In a way, like, I'll, here's one example. So they're talking about how there's all these ghosts and they've just realized there's two ghosts. And Nancy says, the question is, are the two ghosts in cahoots or is it possible there was only one? He could have disappeared from Miss Flora's room without our seeing him and somehow hurried to the third floor and let himself out the front door when we were upstairs. I'm convinced that there's at least one secret entrance into this house and maybe more. I think our next step should be to try to find it or them. We better wash the, watch the luncheon dishes first, Aunt Rosemary suggested. And so she and the girls worked and discussed the mystery. Like they just, it's totally unnecessary to stop. Mm-hmm. Like they could just keep going. Everybody's like, bubble will just stop here for one sentence and do all the dishes for no reason. Like it's it's not necessary. You could just cut it out because the action just continues. It's really just a blip, and I don't know why it's there, and it's it's just bugging me because it keeps happening.
0: There's a lot of external, like, gratuitous reasoning when we just want to see what she's going to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just but it just breaks. It just keeps breaks, and they, they also tend to forget a lot about the mention being haunted. With a page later, Aunt Rosemary and the girls are cooking the meal, which is, Helen has a weird line. She goes, um... Steak and French fried potatoes, fresh peas and yummy floating island for dessert, said Helen. I can hardly wait. Fruit cup first, Aunt Rosemary
0: announced. Yeah, I loved fruit cup first. I I that fruit line to me. I I'm gonna start working that into my uh, my daily vocabulary, just being like, we should have a fruit cup first.
1: And it's definitely coming out of the can. It's got that kind of mm-hmm. maraschino cherry in it. Mm-hmm.
0: It's shiny. It's really shiny.
1: Oh, it's got that It's in that kind of syrup. No one knows what. It's real thick.
0: Yeah. So these women who live in the house, Rosemary and Flora, we've kind of alluded to this, but they think that it's haunted. There's all these things that keep disappearing. They're hearing music come on at weird times. There are chandeliers moving. They're seeing faces at the window, gorilla faces. Like all of these strange things are happening. And I will note that. To the point that i was mentioning earlier about kind of like the roots of this series in the depression even though they were rewritten the author of that essay who was who was talking about that was mentioning that one of the clear ways you see that reflected in nancy's life is like the burglaries like there's just constant burglaries nancy doesn't want for anything in her life like she's totally unaffected by the depression mindset in her convertible and her like dad makes all this money but pretty much in every mystery that she's solving, people are stealing things like that's a recurring theme. And I do find in my own experience, even before I read that essay, I was like, I do feel like every single crime that she's dealing with has to do in some way with money. Like there's always like an old money sort of family that's being affected. In this book, the Turnbull family, like Rosemary and Flora, they seem to have a lot of nice things that are disappearing and Flora's older. And of course we want to like preserve her estate before she dies. Um, And the same thing kind of happens in the mystery at Lilac Inn where she's at this like old beautiful estate and nice things are disappearing. So I thought that that was worth mentioning. But the other thing that I thought was kind of weird was that like, I don't think Nancy really understands what a ghost is because she was intent on figuring out like what door the ghost came in through. And I was like, look, I, I don't know everything about ghosts. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but what I do know about ghosts is that most of the time when I've seen representations of them, like they don't really need to use a door.
1: No, they they and they all seem pretty, I assume that Nancy was like, this is not a ghost. But you want to call this a ghost? I'll call it a ghost. But it's mm. a person because they they um, they catch someone right away sneaking around. Yes. And um, the first person they catch is Albert Watson. He's wandering. He's sneaking on the edge of the ground. The man they catch. Uh, the, a police guard catches him, and he says, "Let me go! Let me go!" So the, he says, "What? I'm no thief. I live around here. Anyone will tell you I'm okay." What's your name and where do you live? The detective brought it. My name's Albert Watson, and I live on Tuttle Road. What are you doing on this property? Albert Watson said he'd been taking a shortcut home. His wife had taken their car for an evening. And then he saw the police say, hey, hey, this is, uh, I was just poking him more and more. And the police detective says, your story sounds okay, but we'll go to the house and do some telephoning to find out if you're telling the truth. And then now he says, you'll find out, all right, why I'm even a notary public. They don't give a notary's license to dishonest folk."
0: We love a notary. We just love a notary.
1: This story. Also, this guy is found sneaking around for some reason in the middle of this slightly. This is a pretty terrifying thing that's happening at this house. There's someone clearly accessing the house when it's locked and stealing things. The chandeliers are shaking and everything is things are moving and there's monsters appearing in the windows. But they're like, look, there's a couple things we got to do during this one. We're going to stop and have lunch and dinner. Two, we're going to have a dress-up ball with this. They immediately go upstairs to the attic, and they find this old trunk of costumes. And Helen dresses like the boy, and then Nancy dresses like the girl. And they have this, like, 18th century ball, Mm -hmm. kind of. But then while they're doing this, the police are outside, like, tackling Albert Watson on the lawn and they all come out in their in their pantaloons and their they it, it's very I'll tell you what, they don't waste any time. Every minute of the day they're doing something. If they're not investigating, they're having a ball. But they do take a lot of breaks in a fairly scary situation to have some fun.
0: Yeah, I mean Helen had literally like fallen through the floor like she could have been very injured and they're like but you know what like we should have a fruit cup oh wait did she did she fall through the floor in the attic i don't remember if that happened before or after but there are just so many things happening in this book and i just felt like even every no matter what happened like they were willing to take pauses mm. there was very little urgency really no. until the very end and even then I, I was like i feel like if i were nancy i'd be moving a little faster like nancy's investigation techniques and you can speak to this way more than i can as a writer of mysteries but her her investigation techniques highly suspect like i like how she gets to the scene and she's like you know what you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna look around Yep. Yeah. and then the next day she's like you know I, i'm gonna look around somewhere else like, it's like, yeah. oh, wait, we had never thought of that, Nancy. Like, I just think it's so, I think it's so funny. And I guess when these books were written, like, there probably had never, there, not probably, there had never been, like, an 18-year-old teenage girl who was a sleuth who was brave enough to just look around. Like, she was a trailblazer in that time. But to us now, just the fact that she shows up and her mere presence is enough to calm these other women down. And she's like, just my assurance is that I'm going to look at your house is an important first step in putting this mystery to rest.
1: It seems to take them about four days though. Yeah, I think it's a little hard to tell. I think so too. And the only way I could tell was basically how many times they were stopping to
0: eat. Right. Roughly twelve meals.
1: Yeah. they're. This is where they're looking. Okay. So yeah. So she gets there and she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to search the house. And you're like, good plan. Like if there's somebody sneaking around your house, you want to look through the house? And they they look through the house and then they wake up the next day and she says, I'm gonna look through the house. And then they go through the day and then they have a ball and they catch a notary public and they wake up the next day and they say, I got an idea, let's look through the house. Mm-hmm. And I thought I had kind of hit my head or something. I'm like, it really just happens over and over again. Like Groundhog Day, she just wakes up and goes, Today I'm gonna to look through that. I'm like, How big is this house? Yes. Is this Versailles? Like, how big is this house? It it I mean, you would imagine that even a fairly good sized house could be examined
0: in a day right you don't have to double check it the next day and if you've done a thorough job of looking around the house there might be other avenues that you would want to explore on days two three and four right yeah it is it's sort of interesting but i I will say something that i enjoyed about her process in this book that i don't remember as much from the other two books that i've reread for the podcast is i like the fact that helen was involved like i sort of like the fact that she had helen as her sidekick they were doing it together. I think this mystery felt a little bit more physical because they were doing all of this, exploring all of this, looking around the house. They were unlocking trap doors and like looking for secret passageways, secret staircases. They were trying to figure out where this ghost might be coming in from. They're trying to connect... The house that flora and rosemary live in with this other estate that's far away that's completely run down i like that it was more physical that she was really actively like showing all of these different kinds of strengths physical mental like all she was doing all these different things and she had her friend with her because i think in the first book it was very much like her on her own which is cool like love an independent sleuth but it was kind of neat to see her like also interacting with her friend and letting her help and like watching their relationship, even though there's not much depth there, obviously, because we are talking about Nancy Drew. I still thought it was neat that like they were in it together. Like they found this trap door and they worked together to... Unlock it using a button hook, which I thought was really interesting because it's sort of this like, I don't know, this like old fashioned, almost feminine leaning tool that ladies used to use to to put their gloves on. Like they together as these two young women figured out that that was a good way to open a trap door, which I don't think that two men maybe would have figured out as quickly as they did. So as much as I was so sick of her looking around the house, there were parts of those looking around the house scenes where i feel like at least we got to see them working together and helen also contributing a little bit
1: yeah they i mean she climbs on the roof i mean she takes some real chances i liked all of that it, but it did seem like there was one phase of the investigation it was like your house is haunted and somebody's stealing ghosts question mark i will look around the house all that's happening is is looking around the house punctuated by fruit cup. in the middle of this So her father, early on, right before this all started, a mysterious man had shown up at their house and said, your father's in trouble. You've got to bodyguard him. And then that very night, he almost gets run over by a truck. And Nancy, like, shoves him out of the way. And Dad's like, isn't that weird how that truck almost hit us? And she's like, I think it has something to do with that guy that came by earlier that says someone's going to try to kill you. (laughs) And he's like, I don't know, maybe. Who knows? But I got to take a train to Chicago for some reason. And I never could figure out why. But then, like, he's taking a train to Chicago. This all has to do with the property matter. So Mr. Drew is is both going to Chicago, but he's also going to drive back and visit Nancy, but he never shows up. And I couldn't follow this. So she says, like, so her father had taken the train home and probably had reached the Clifton station. Next, she must find out what had happened to him after that. And she kind of doesn't. And then she thinks that he's kidnapped.
0: Yes. So I feel like the, the mystery is moving pretty slow. this point and then all of a sudden so many things are happening that i too was a little confused because it's like not only are we now not as focused on the ghost we're focused on mr drew but also it's very unclear what's happened to him as far as i can tell from my like review of my notes before you and i spoke today she thought that he was there was like a false telegram like there was a fake telegram that came through that made her think that she could go pick him up but then their housekeeper hannah speaks to her and is like oh that telegram must have been a hoax like that must not have been your father i don't know where he is something happened so i think that was one of their clues that something had gone wrong with his plan and then she goes to this station and she meets this driver named harry who says that he drove a man who matched Mr. Drew's description because of course Nancy's walking around and just like chatting with people you know she just makes herself at home wherever she is which I have to say I admire and he says that he like recognizes this description and at first he says he like doesn't know anything about what happened to him like he's totally innocent he just saw him he was just he happened to be there and then like after very little negotiating with him later on once she realizes that like she really needs to get to the bottom of this he cracks he like admits so i actually i pulled out the quotes of what he said because she really again like is in addition to being a ghost hunter and a property rights expert she also is a master negotiator. Um, But Harry says he had taken a passenger who fitted Mr. Drew's description toward Twin Elms where he had said he wanted to go. Just as we were leaving the station, he said, two other men came up and jumped into my cab. They say they were going a little farther than that, and would I take them? Well, about halfway to Twin Elms, one of those men ordered me to pull up to the side of the road and stop. He told me the stranger had blacked out. He and his buddy jumped out of the car and laid the man on the grass. So that was the first sort of like eyewitness account that he got. And then I think it's the next day she has another conversation with Harry um, and she's like, do you have children? Like if your children are worried about you, wouldn't you want them to know what happened? And he again is like, okay, fine. I'll tell you. Like that's really all it takes to get him to crack. And he says, I'm not going to hold out any longer. I admit Greenman had me scared, but he's the guy who rode in my cab then ordered me to keep my mouth shut after that other passenger blacked out. And then Nancy (laughs) again She's just so quick. She says, maybe you're afraid you'll receive the death sentence for helping to kidnap my father. But if you didn't realize the seriousness of the whole thing, the complaint against you may turn out just to be conspiracy. He says, you've got me exactly right, miss. I had almost nothing to do with taking your father away. The guy I was with, he's the old timer. He's got a long prison record. I haven't. Honestly, miss, this is my first offense. So I'm still a little bit confused about the mechanics of what exactly happened with Harry, other than the fact that like these two other men got in the car with car syndrome. Gave him something so that he would pass out. They pulled him out of the car, and then they proceeded to take him to this other mansion where they literally put him in a windowless room without food, really, like just enough food to keep him alive. Which he recovers from very quickly, by the way, at the end of the book. But he's fine. Yeah. He's like he's. I think. Wait, what, I had to pull it out because it made me laugh so much. It says. The lawyer's robust health and sturdy constitution had stood him in good stead. He recovered with amazing rapidity from his ordeal and listened in rapt attention as one after another of those in the room related the events of the past few days. I'm like, if you guys could relate them back to me so that I can understand them more clearly, that would be great, because a lot happened in like 20 pages. But I just, I really was impressed by how quickly Nancy was able to reason with Harry and to get this information out of him. There are basically two
1: things so imagine the, the haunted house plot is this kind of wide, slow, slow moving boat. Yeah. It's like <laughs> wah, wah, we're gonna search the house. You can search the house. <laughs> it's just you just see it drifting on the horizon and every time you look, it seems to be in largely the same place, but you're seeing it from a distance. You're like, it must be moving. It just it looks like it's in it, it's just it just kind of drifts. And then there's this weird like na 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 that just spins in, it's like a fly, and it's like, Bruh. and there's a and there's a notary public, and there's property, hey, there's a truck, and there's a man at the door, and he's gonna kill you, and then oh, he's kidnapping, and there's a guy and a taxi driver, and uh, in none of it, you can't follow it, it makes no, and then you're looking at the the boat again, and then na 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 na, and the two are so totally different speed-wise, totally everything, that the slowness of the one is slightly incomprehensible and the speed of the other is completely incomprehensible.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It reminded me a little bit of the first scene of Flowers in the Attic by D.C. Andrews, where you find out that the father has died in the world's most improbable accident that just keeps going and going, like, the car was run off against the road, but he would have been fine. But then it exploded, and he would have been fine. And then a truck came full of oil, and he would have been fine. But then, like a truck full of fire came, and. It just kind of keeps building and building and building and doesn't make a ton of sense. I feel like I'm being hard on. It's just these two things are kind of clashing together and then they go back to the haunted house and the ceiling falls in pretty much instantly.
0: Yeah, it just feels disjointed. And the more you describe this very helpful boat metaphor, actually, I think that captures it really well. It just feels disjointed. I wanted to like, feel like I had more footing in one of the two mysteries and I didn't really feel like I was grounded in either. And I wanted to understand, especially because I know, and I could tell, I was like, I think Nancy's doing some really cool stuff here, like potentially cooler stuff than she's done in the other two books that I've read for the podcast. And I wanted to be able to appreciate them. I wanted to appreciate that she was again, like doing this very like physical, brave work in the haunted house and this like really challenging, like negotiating work and understanding a lot of things about real estate in this yeah. other very slow moving plot. But I just didn't, I didn't get either side of it really. And and what we really learn at the end, I think, is that Nathan Gomber is pretty much behind all of it to right. some degree. Willie Wharton, who we were introduced to at the beginning, they discover him in the other estate. And what I'm still like wondering is like, I, I still don't understand why Nathan Gomber was so mad. Like who has the time to be that angry to hatch this whole plot? I mean, I know that he was upset on behalf of his clients because of the whole railroad bridge situation, but it seems like he went to a lot of trouble.
1: Also, Nancy gets involved. The fact that Nancy is a common denominator in this is a coincidence. Like Nathan Gomber is, he's got this kind of, I mean, he's doing this separate thing over at this mansion. And then he comes to the door and is like, you better protect your, I don't know why she he goes to the door. Plot-wise, to say you got to protect your father, and I didn't bother to go back to try to to try to figure it out. I'm like, I don't know why he does it. But then Nancy totally separately has gotten this call from Helen, and Helen's like, you got to come over. We got ghosts, and she's like, "Ah, I got two things to do: keep my dad from being killed and find some ghosts. And they both happen at the same time. I wonder if these things will be interconnected, and they are. But you can tell that. Okay, what I do like about this, in terms of the time period, is that. If you felt like you wanted a book with some action in it and you wanted to feel like things were happening, we can't fault this for things happening. That's true. There's constantly something. Some of it's repetitive and some of it makes no sense. But I think you could kind of go like, okay, like it's, it's just stuff happening constantly. Whether or not you're searching all the time or there's a complicated real estate crime, there's always something happening. And then the, if there's nothing happening, then the ceiling falls in or you have some fruit cup. I don't know why
0: the ceiling falls in. Is it just a flood? I don't know. Did we find out why the ceiling? I think it was a leak. That sounds right. I think it
1: was just a leak.
0: But Helen also fell through a hole in something earlier in the book.
1: Uh, Does she go through a hole in the roof or the attic? I feel like she goes through a hole in the attic.
0: She falls through something earlier on. And then there's another similar major like catastrophe construction-wise toward the end of the book. An architectural oversight, it would seem. Or a leak, as you mentioned. But yeah, I think maybe it was a leak. Because the, these houses are old.
1: Yeah, I think that they're almost killed by just a again, normal, just bad plumbing.
0: Nancy probably could have done the plumbing herself. She probably she could have done the opportunity. that. I'd love your thoughts, you know, sort of reflecting on this conversation as we start to wind it down. Do you have any thoughts coming back to this book? And I I know we've kind of talked about like mismatched expectations or not having any expectations. Like, do you have any thoughts after reading this as an adult as to why she is such an enduring character? Because there's so much out there about how great she is, but there's also a lot out there about how problematic these books are and how they are just like loaded with white privilege. And there's just there's so many issues with this series and even with Nancy as a character and she endures and she has been referenced by so many like especially female powerhouses as an inspiration for their work and especially given what you do I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about like why she endures even though we can read her in 2021 and and realize that like maybe she's not exactly what we thought that she was when we were kids. Not everything holds up. Yeah. You know the past- is the past and when you read any old
1: book, they're of their own time and there's going to be stuff that is very weird. You're like, this would not work now. But that's the nature of time and writing. I think that why she's noticed by so many or referenced by so many is simply that she is the girl detective and she's sort of the only one. I mean, the only other, there are some that appear uh, like Miss Marple is one of the only other. There's a few I guess there's a few examples in, say, classic mysteries of women doing detection work. Like You can count them almost on one hand. The idea that somebody was writing something for girls that wasn't simply, she was going to marry a night gym who worked for the oil company. You know, it's mentioned, but it doesn't matter. The fact that she's doing stuff and she's useful, that's, I think, the whole, I think that's sort of the beginning and the end of it. That, that you know, it's just, we add, hey, this one's a girl. I think that's it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And, and you you use the phrase hold up. And I always ask my guests at the end of every episode, if on the whole, they feel that the book we've talked about holds up to their memories of it as a kid or their memories of it from when they read it when they were younger. What are your thoughts on that? Would you would you say that this does not hold up?
1: I mean, it holds up to my memory in that I can't really remember much about it. But I remembered something that was sort of like this, that I think I probably thought was, was really sophisticated. Probably because it had things in it like real estate crime that I was like, oh, that's very adult. And I'm an adult reading really going, oh, I don't really understand what's going on here. So sometimes things that just read as confusing to you, as you're a kid, you're like, I'm going to learn about that when I grow up. And as like, later on, you're like, it just doesn't really make a ton of sense. But it's fine. Like, I get it. There was a property crime. But also, when you don't write about, if you're writing mysteries and you don't write about murder, you have to try to up the stakes as much as you can. And you can tell the, where the limits are with this, the limit of where the limit of danger is. And you can tell they're trying to work up to it as there's a kidnapping. There's a fairly violent kidnapping and there's people sneaking through the walls, which is scary. The, the idea of somebody living in your walls is the, one of the scariest things there is. And there's there's also a historical crime in this. You could tell that they're really trying to ramp up the scary danger aspect as much as they can, which I appreciate.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point about the stakes. And I also love what you said about like, when you read something as a kid, and you don't get it, you just assume that you'll figure it out someday, and you don't care. And I think that explains a lot of...
1: Yeah, you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm just a kid. I don't know. I don't know nothing about property law. Then <laughs> you're, adult, you're like, I don't really know what's happening either, kid. I don't know what gomper is doing.
0: Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever figure it out. But I really appreciate that you read this book with me and that you talked it through with me. Other than The Hidden Staircase, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Oh, boy, I've been rereading a lot of stuff recently. One of the new books I've read is called Ace of Spades, which is coming out in June. And that's a new mystery, which I liked a lot. But I'm kind of about to start a new book, which means I'm resetting my whole reading list. It's a whole thing where I kind of go through and kind of pick out the new, yeah, it's a new project, new reading list.
0: That's exciting.
1: It is exciting. And it just I just when I start talking about it, I'm like my brain starts floating around the reading list, like,
0: yeah, and I gotta do this and then I should really Well, I will include a link to Ace of Spades in the show notes for this episode. I also know that as this episode is going live on June 15th, Your new book, The Box in the Woods, is now available and for sale. It's the new installment in the Truly Devious series. Is there anything that you want to share with our listeners about that? We have a lot of fans of yours in the SSR community, and I happen to know that a lot of my listeners have already pre-ordered it and are very Mm. excited.
1: Well, it's a standalone, so you don't have to have read Truly Devious. This is Stevie Bell, which is my girl detective. And having made a girl detective, uh, or a teenage detective, as I would think of her, like the only... The phrase girl detective comes from Nancy Drew. Like, why would you even say girl detective? But That's where this comes from. But she is on a new case that is considerably more bloody and violent than anything that Nancy ever worked on, as far as I can tell. But it involves her trying to solve a cold case from 1978, in which four camp counselors were murdered and their bodies were found in a box in the woods. And she travels to the town of Barlow Corners, where the camp is located, uh, with some of her friends from Ellingham Academy. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's got a lot more grisly detail than the hidden staircase.
0: Nancy Drew walked so that your characters could run. I'll take that. (laughs) And thank you, Nancy. Thank you for that. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Helen. Listeners, go check out the new book. Maureen, it was such a treat to talk with you and to navigate this fascinating, weird property law world of Nancy Drew um, and some ghosts thrown in there. And I just really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And remember, they don't just let anyone
0: be a notary public. No. And remember to eat your fruit cup first, because that's really important. I think they probably do let anybody be a notary public. Let's find out. We'll we'll find out and then we'll we'll report back at some point. And uh listeners I'll let you know how to become one if that's your yeah. new dream because of Nancy Drew. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats on the new book, Marine. Thank you so much. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast.